0: 78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Wella Foods, Thunderbird Bars, the Little Alamo Airbnb, Corazon Team Austin Realtors, Two Wishes Ranch Events, El Rey Bar and Nightclub, and Birdie House Airbnb. Overcoming limitations, letting go of self doubt, and embracing change. It's all about challenging assumptions and taking risks, believing in your own potential. And by doing so, you open doors to personal growth and authentic self expression. In this episode, we speak to several artists that have found their own method to get out of their own way. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is
1: 78644. Get out of your own way. Ah, Get out.
0: Austin-based, now Lockhart-based singer-songwriter and renowned furniture scientist Parker Chapin delivers an eccentric mustache and mullet image to his indie folk and alt-country-infused sing-alongs. He also is the presenter of Chicken Fried Steak Night on Wednesday nights at Old Pal. And we got a chance to catch up here in the studio and uh, work on a uh, Parker Chapin song together, which was fun, and uh, talk about all kinds of great stuff.
2: My girlfriend and I, we... We actually so when Jacob Hildebrand bought his house, we took over his lease. That was just—he told uh, me that's right. He told me that you moved into his other place. Yeah, and it was like for my girlfriend, it was like sight unseen, like she hadn't even like. (laughs) It was like, do you trust? How much do you trust me? You know, (laughs) and uh,
0: that's a cool little house, though. It's
2: great. Yeah, it's great. And then you know, fast forward a little, little bit down. You know, a year after that basically two streets down we were able to just look in, and I was like for sale sign okay that's weird why haven't I seen this like pop up on Zillow or whatever and ended up buying a house two streets down and it's a fixer-upper so I've been redoing that for the last year and oh, almost yeah. the last year but yeah man so we're hoping to move into that pretty soon and I'll have my studio and stuff like that set up in there
0: oh that's great yeah yeah that's fun you were saying that you your studio your your doing a black-on-black black room, it is, right? It is dark. It is
2: black onyx from Sherwin-Williams. It
0: is dark. I love it, man. Oh, my gosh. So, like, what do you... In, in that room, is it just going to be minimalist? Just, like, a place to track? My my hope with it is to have just a solid writing room
2: where it's, like, everything is so convenient. Like, XLRs will be through the baseboard, so it's, like, nobody really... There's not cables going on. I just want a solid demo room because i'm not very great you know in from an engineering perspective or even like a, a playing perspective but you know there's enough softwares out there that i can make a decent demo uh and not have
0: to leave my home so yeah that's the thing now it's a, you can make records by emailing back and forth you know yeah <laughs> hey here's this it's not this bpm track this to it somebody sent it back totally it, that was a couple years ago you've been out here for a little bit now and yeah. and are doing the the chicken fried steak night—that's like the the gig. I love the concept of, of that, and I love that you're presenting it. I, I like you present it. I'm I'm trying to recall how it came about,
2: uh, and I tell people that like there is not a better quote unquote residency for a guy like me than like a chicken fried steak night, and I get to you know play my songs with just me and a guitar and just see everybody just like self-indulge and like eat a big old pile of chicken fried steak and, and just hang out and, you know. I don't know if it was Jam or Travis, one of the one of the owners over at Old Pal, like we got to get to know each other a little bit and they were just like, let's think of something. And I was like, what about steak night? And I was thinking, I think I had like ribeyes or whatever in mind and then they were like, nah, dude, let's do chicken fried steak. And I'm just like, done, done deal. Like, Let's just do it. And it's so, I love it, man. It's so good. The, the initial promo video that we did for that residency got like thousands of views on, on all of our Instagrams. And it was just, it was, it was like a skit of, you know, what are you doing on Wednesday? And it's, it, it's so fun, man. And, and we've been doing it over a year now. And I, you know, Jim, Travis and I were just like, all right, I'll, I'll do it until the gals come home until I, we don't feel like it. And, you know, so it's, it's just kind of a staple. Let's talk a little bit about some of the music. Do you want to talk about the new thing you're doing? I'm putting out um, some new material under uh, the moniker Dear Old Friend that just kind of came about. I don't know, people I've met all over the US, they're just, whatever I hear, like people talk about me, like, it's like, yeah, he's a dear old friend. And I'm just like, I, it's the best I could come up with in the moment. You know what I mean? But I, I've actually really liked it because it, it's, it, for me, it kind of symbolizes, like, at the end of the day, music is, Always, music and songwriting has always been like my dear old friend. At the end of the day, it's something that I'll always be able to have, something that I'll always be able to fall back on. It's less of like a moniker and more of like what music symbolizes for me. And it's it's kind of like an experimental project. It's like we're using like we pulled up some Outcast beats from their first record, so it's it's got some I'm not going to say hip hop sensibility with it, but it, it's uh, it's just like experimental pop songwriter stuff, which is. Far away from the America, "quote unquote" Americana stuff that I've I've been doing for the last four years, so I'm I'm really excited. It's it's the first time that I've like really been hyped about the sounds that you know we're making in the studio up in Nashville. So I feel <laughs> like Americana is just like more of a label of not country, not rock and roll, but like some smeared singer songwriter roots rock thing with yeah. some pedal steel and like cosmical and they just Slap a label on it and then you go play Americana Fest.
0: The experimentation with, with the beats and with drum machines and with, you know, the analog synthesizer kind of thing coming back where it does have an emotional palette and frees up something that has kind of been bolted to the ground in terms of the rules of how you write. You know I, what I mean? I like how you said they yeah, had the rules, right? It's like I love writing
2: a song from start to finish, like not wasting a syllable. And everything makes sense in context to the to the lyrical story. But like when I get more experimental with it, I don't want to say it's less about the lyrics and more about the music, but I'm able to write more musical hooks in like a really cool way without me even singing, kind of thing. And it's that's what's really cool to me right now, is is just like, you know, you hear on any pop radio station and there's just a beat that you're just like bobbing your head, tapping your foot, and you're just like, no one's singing. But, you know, it's fun at this point. It used to be so, like, so much pressure, but it's, it's just become
0: fun at the end of the day. Like, I can put something in words. Do you feel, some of the things we've been talking about with some of the artists on this episode is the concept of staying out of your own way. Does that resonate? Yeah, I mean,
2: a little background of me. Like, I got sober when I was 20, and a, a big part of that for me personally was just getting my stupid ego out of the way, and it's like, yo, you're not the center of the universe. You're just some small molecule, of just granular thing. Like you're not that important, more or less. You know what I'm saying? But but that's not to say that the things that you can create aren't important, right? And creating with other people, it's a collab. Like I am, I hate being in a co-write or in the studio with with some artist that is just, you know, running the entire show, like from mix to Matt. And it's like, yo, like, let's create a collaborative experience for this thing and make it beautiful. Make it something that is just accessible to, to more people. And I feel like when ego, you know, getting out of my own way, it, it allows it to be such more of a, I don't know, just like a transparent process, to, you know, to the listener. It, I feel like it translates better when, you know, I get out of the way.
0: I feel... That that is both easy and hard to do. Definitely, if if you're if you have something in mind, then you're trying to chip away at it. But sometimes it's just discovery with music, and that's fascinating to me. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the the song that that we're working on here today. It's like you, this is one that you've you've done a version of it that was sort of an Americana version with steels and stuff. But but what's this song about? Like, what's the what's the vibe on this?
2: Man, I wrote this when I was like twenty. It's one of those those songs where it's just, it's word vomit. You just pick up a guitar and like within five minutes you have verses, choruses, vibe, done. And it was just like one of those songs. And it it was kind of like the first song that comes to my mind that it was just like from start to finish, acoustic guitar, me singing into a voice memo, done. Kind of thing. Like And that's kind of what we recorded, more or less. For me, it, it represents like, just a raw me feeling heartbreak, me feeling like all this pain and these mixed emotions and being able to translate that on like the drop of a hat with a guitar. So it's special to me in that sense that I was able to just pull something out, you know, cause songwriting for me is therapy, right? But it's just the song, for, it's called Shark Bait and, and that's an inside joke from my my grandfather. He He would, he lost his hearing a little bit. And one time my brother and I were like making some paper airplanes and we needed some scotch tape. And he was like, shark bait, what the fuck do you need shark bait for? That was like when I was five and like throughout the years until he passed away, like that was always like a funny two word line in my family. And I was able to, you know, throw that into a song kind of just to remember him in that. And it's just basically just take a deep breath. Like everything's fine. Everything's going to, everything already is okay. It's just your perspective on it. Yeah. You know,
0: that's true. That's And it's said, I love the, the idea of not taking yourself so seriously, it's really a secret to happiness. That and gratitude, you know? That's interesting to hear because I'm always fascinated with where do songs come from for other people that write them, you know? It's the human condition, but I feel like for songwriters and musicians in general,
2: there's like a certain channel that like other people can't unlock. Like I know non-songwriters that they write a journal every day and it's it, it's it's basically the same exercise, if you will, what I do with songwriting, you know. But I feel like in general, like, humans have to have an outlet of that sort of, you know, taking something good or bad internally and expressing it outwardly, whether it's in a journal, whether it's running, whether it's, you know, rock climbing. And for me, my outlet is songwriting and creating music. And I I feel like it's kind of like that for other songwriters, too.
0: What would you tell your younger self about making music that you didn't know back then?
2: I had this dude who was kind of like my quote unquote manager and he would, you know, kind of put me in opening slots for these Texas country artists and he didn't really regard me as an artist. He regarded me more as a songwriter. So he set me up a bunch of Nashville writing as a songwriter, like a very strict distinction like you're not an artist, you're a songwriter, Mm. you know. Thanks for that. And I like fell victim to that belief because this is some dude that's managed some people before that have successful careers. And and what I would tell my younger self is like don't take to heart everyone's opinion, you know, because it's that's somebody's opinion. I have I I learned a very long time ago, go talk to people. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like shake hands, get to know like the, the thing, like, if any anybody's listening that has ever come to my shows, like, I will shake your hand and ask you your name before you say hi to me. You know what I'm saying? And I really make that a point to connect with the people who take the time to, like, listen to me and stay all the way to the end of the show and just want to talk to me.
0: Like, yeah. I love that. I love interacting with fans. The word that's triggering to most musicians, if you don't know, is the word exposure. So... What does the word exposure mean to you? And he wrote an answer here, but let's just paraphrase it. All right. It's a loaded question. Yeah. For me, what
2: I meant that is somebody wants to hire me to, to, you know, perform or whatever, and they don't want to pay me with things that can pay my bills. They'd rather pay me an exposure with the people that they say are going to come out to the show and it's going to be career advancing for you and and later on financially advancing for you. And it's never that it's never that living in Austin. And I am not some long time Austin resident. You know, I, I got here when I did and I moved out, you know, within a decade. And I feel like there are so many musicians in Austin that, they will always take less money or play for free. And what that and that takes a paycheck away from these musicians that fight day in and day out. You know, I don't know if, if y'all noticed out there, but you know, in career land where people are engineers and, you know, in tech and all this, like those salaries are going up, you know, if you wanted to look at it from a chart. But the rate of a musician playing at a bar has stayed the same <laughs> for the most part, right? For, since 1970, something yeah. exactly. You know what I'm saying? There's no adjustment for inflation. So, yeah. um, I'm. Let me put it to you this way: I'm very grateful for the places that I play that have gotten with the times, and they do take care of us. Like old pal, old pal takes care of me. Like Desert Door out in Driftwood, they they take care of me. But yeah, exposure. It, 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 it is never what it turns out to be. It's, it's never what the person telling you you're going to be playing for exposure actually is in reality. It's horrible.
3: Nor the winds are always blowing my way. That's alright, it will be okay Tomorrow's not here, just to live for the day Your stress and your worries will dissipate Breathe a little deeper, it will be okay What you want sometimes will just get in the way you find out what you needed by the end of the day Tomorrow's not promised, just to live for the day She moved right out of town just the other day Backed up and left, my girl was running away It turns out all she needed was a little space I guess I was just in the wrong time and place I had a lot on my mind, too much on my plate I tried to sleep for days just like it keep me awake Bending over backwards just waiting for the break Guess our brains were the shark and our hearts were the bait When her mind was straight I had a heart full of love But a mind full of hate I told her to move on Step up to the plate Cause love is not a game Just a challenge of fate yeah, The hardest part of love Is pulling away You know I'd rather be there for you Till the end of days So baby wiping tears is gonna be okay I'm here to set you free I'm here to, It's gonna be okay
0: Parker Chapin presents Chicken Fried Steak Night every second Wednesday at Old Pal. You can catch him there, as well as a really great chicken fried steak. The Baker Theatre is now putting on the new musical that they're doing, which is the musical 9 to 5. And uh, 9 to 5 the musical is, uh, has music and lyrics by Dolly Parton, and the book is by Patricia Resnick. It's based on the seminal 1980 hit movie of the same name set in the late 1970s and it's a hilarious story of friendship and revenge in the Rolodex era. It's outrageous and thought provoking and uh, even a little romantic. So uh, we had several of the cast as well as the director come in and speak with us
4: about the play.
5: I'm Taisha Calhoun and I'm playing Violet Newstead. I'm Ella
6: McCarthy
7: and I'm playing Doralee Rhodes.
4: I'm Doug DiGerala and I play Franklin Hart Jr.
7: And I'm Beth James, I am the director. And
0: we're the cast of Nine to Five. That's great. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about th- this is a musical, which is these are hard to do. Uh, first of all, you have to you have to do learn all the music, and and uh, from the what I've heard, um, who's who's singing the Dolly Parton parts? Is that I am? That's not easy to do.
6: No, it is not. <laughs> It's a totally different style from, you know, like musical theater. There's a, a specific style that you learn when you're learning to belt and you're learning to hit these really high notes and things like that. But for this role, I had to go back into my like a little bit of country training and yodel training. Um, and so I kind of used some of that. Um, and it's a very different style from musical theater. So it's been a very fun challenge.
0: <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Because yeah. when I've heard you through the years, you you usually remind me of um, someone like a Judy Garland or a Zoe Deschanel kind of sound. That but, but I've heard you yeah. do. And so when I was, I was like knocked out that you were doing the Dolly Parton thing. Because that's, not that these other singers aren't great. They're great singers. Yeah. But this is like, this is a challenge. And I think you're, what I've heard, you're going to hear it on the show. It's, it sounds... You've nailed it. So thank you, really. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I'm, mean, it's, I'm impressed. Um, this was originally a film, and then the same screenwriter adapted it for the stage. What are you doing? Anything unique with the with your version of directing it?
7: I mean, I think every production is at least a little bit unique. Um, I think we match probably a little closer to the Broadway version of the show, and yet we've added some small, quick jokes that are from the original movie that aren't necessarily in the script, but we've done that with staging. So I think it's a good mix between the two to still get the same message out.
0: That's good. And and so this was... Uh... A message about uh, equality in the mm-hmm. workplace for for women. Um, so, and what what where you are you putting that message? I mean, talk talk a little bit about that if you don't mind, because there's been a we've had some time now, and I guess it's a two part question. Have we seen any difference <laughs> and that kind of thing? Go ahead.
7: Yeah, um, I actually talk a lot about this in my director's note. Like, while there has been some changes, it's still really relevant to today in general. I think 16% of women in Fortune 500 companies are actually currently executives, but they make up 86% of the workforce of those Fortune 500s. Um, And women get paid less still regularly than their male counterparts doing the same exact job. And it's one of those messages that while we've had some progression, every time we have some progression, we regress a little back too. And so we just need to keep pushing this message so that eventually this could be a period piece. But really right now, it's set in the 1970s, but it's just as current today than it was then.
0: Yeah. I, I think, are you, and so you put that in the, Director's notes. uh, I did. A little bit about that. And are you doing anything with the play to sort of bring it to today? I'm just curious.
7: I think the play speaks for itself. Um, It is still set in 1978, but I think the relevance of what's happening in the story is completely current. Uh, I, you know, bring a focus, I try to bring a focus to it. And very certain scenes, like the things that happen between Franklin Hart and Dorley, and the things that happen between Dick and Judy, uh, in the show, to make sure that you really see this woman empowerment and what that really looks like. In, but I think the script kind of talks for itself. We just need to bring it to the front and center and remember that it is a comedy. We are supposed to laugh at things that happen, but it has a real message behind it.
0: Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about your characters. I mean, are, are on the way you're playing it, are, are you influenced at all by the film or...
5: So I um, am of the age that I recall seeing the film in the theater. I'm not going to be disclosing anything except for that fact. (laughs) Um, And I have always been a huge fan of the trio of women and the message that was sent even back then. Um, I'm playing Violet in such a way that uh, sort of pays homage to Lily Tomlin. and some of the characteristics that I've chosen to adopt from what I have seen. But, but like Beth said, this is such a a current play that I think it's also important to bring our own personalities, our own experiences, um, our own thoughts and feelings like we all do as actors into a role that we're playing. And so um, for me, personally speaking, this, this character really I identify tremendously with this character having been employed for a really long time now. And, feeling the same way that she felt in this production as far as doing all of the right work, doing all of the right things, and still being um, looked over or turned down or anything when she's trying to advance her career. And I know that this is something that is continually happening, even though we are here in 2023. It happens to thousands of women across this country and across the world. So uh, playing Violet Newstead has, has been very empowering because it Um, I think it, I think it allows people to see that the good and the right do win out in the end because this play does have a very positive ending to it. Um, if you're familiar with that, you know, it, um, but it's a story of hope and a story of perseverance and a story of, um, even through being frustrated, just doing the right things to try and get yourself forward and being rewarded for it.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. What about you
4: guys? Yeah, well, I play. I play Frank Hart Jr. I'm. I'm the boss. I'm. I'm sort of the. I. I'm the bad guy. we we'll just. We'll just go ahead and say it. I'm the bad guy. I'm the one doing everything wrong in the company. Uh, I. I find it a, a little bit of a challenge to you know play the villain, but also be funny at the same time. You gotta. You. You have to skirt a. a a fine line between what's really offensive and what's really funny. Uh, and I, I like to think that I sort of show that in my, you know, my dance moves. <laughs> uh, in, the, in the way I say my lines, in the, in the way that, uh, you know, I, I, I talk and interact with the other characters. Sure, like, you don't like what he's doing, but he's sort of doing it in a funny way. So you can laugh at him, but also still hate him. That's that's good. Yeah,
6: mm-hmm. I think also he gets what's coming to him mm-hmm. is a big thing too. Yeah, poetic justice yeah. kind
4: of thing. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Sometimes in rehearsal they'll 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 say, "Doug, you're getting this." I'm like, "Wait, <laughs> I'm playing Frank right <laughs> now. Hold on, <laughs> this
5: is not Doug." <laughs>
4: I'm a character. I'm on stage.
5: <laughs> um,
6: for my character, uh Dorley Rhodes is um, AKA Dolly Parton. So there's two like schools of thought for me my, my personal uh you know like philosophy that I've brought to this role um and one of them is the other people that have played Doralee Rhodes um and then the other is just Dolly Parton as a person um which is really cool to just get to sit and watch Dolly mm-hmm. Parton interviews or like watch uh different people talk about Dolly Parton mm-hmm. and I know way too many fun facts about her now <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah I have I think I have uh, a nice mix of of Dolly and Dora, Dora Lee, and also some Ella sprinkled in there, mm-hmm. just to you know keep everything authentic.
0: Yeah, and, that's. <laughs> it, do you think? Um, do you think that the character is is, is Southern in any way? I mean, do you think oh that, God, yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean,
6: she has a whole like thing about uh, her. Her one of her songs is uh, "Backwoods Barbie," um, and then the other one is "Cowgirls Revenge." Uh, I, I did get to buy new uh, cowgirl boots for the show and, and a cowgirl hat. And I use a lasso at one point. Um, <laughs> I use it uh, using as a, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I lasso you. Yeah. Yeah. She <laughs> I more or less I throws it and lasso. I Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hold it at the
0: least. <laughs> stage lasso. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you wearing the wig and the whole thing? Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I considered dyeing my hair, but it just wasn't big enough. You know, like you have I think to you get she, that yeah, really like big hair. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I had to had to get the wig on. Throughout.
0: Is it kind of like uh, you know Indiana Jones when you put on the hat or uh-huh. the wig and you become that?
6: Yeah, exactly, in. exactly. Well, yeah, the first time I put on the wig, I was like, ah, it this, this way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. Now I've always been misunderstood because of how I looked. But don't judge me by the cover, because I'm a real good book. So read into it what you will, but see me as I am. The way I look is just a country girl's idea of Just a simple country girl. How?
0: 9 to 5 the musical is at the Baker Theatre until August 6th, Friday and Saturdays at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. It's $19 for adults as well as senior, student, and veteran discounts available. Lars Roder is an artist primarily dedicated to printmaking and photography. His latest work expands on these techniques along with components of design, sculpture, and digital media. Interactive installations and performances which critique the modern artistic practice, relational aesthetics, and agency of the viewer. Lars and I got to chat by Zoom about his latest exhibit, which is happening at the Post Register Gallery.
8: I've been teaching at different schools for about five years, six years, something like that. Um, And I'm in a big transition now. Uh... I taught for five years at a m Corpus Christi, and last year I moved to Northwestern Rural Oklahoma to teach at Northwestern Oklahoma State in Alva, Oklahoma, and on Friday, uh, I'm moving to Wyoming to teach the University of Wyoming. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I'm in the midst of packing. Got a lot of boxes everywhere. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit
0: about the show. Uh, the show's running for a month, and... Um... It, it's kind of uh, i enjoyed how you're taking iconography of texas or the west and sort of playing it with playing playing with it a bit and um also sort of in an idiomic way with idioms and things like that can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to do this,
8: this yeah thing? it's definitely a little bit of kind of observational humor and satire but kind of like what you're saying right it's a uh... It's the West in the broad sense, right, but it's kind of through my experience of living in Texas, living in Oklahoma, uh, even before that, living in Nashville, right? So, like, if you think about what is Western, what is cowboy, what is country music, that sort of thing, you know, it has those icons and symbols that are extracted from their, like, original environment right like so the saguaro cactus which shows up a lot in a lot of different pieces right that's like the iconic cactus right it's got two arms and it's uh you know kind of looks almost uh anthropomorphic right it's like um, the roadrunner coyote cactus absolutely right that's the one but you know they only grow in the south uh western corner of arizona and southeastern corner of california and that adjacent strip of mexico right it's this little bubble centered around tucson and uh yet they're like as an image as an icon it's used everywhere from you know across the country especially everywhere in the southwest california new mexico wyoming texas uh and so it kind of as you know it's it's one of those things that's funny to me where it kind of parodies beyond like it's you know, it's it's grown beyond its original thing, right? Its original sort of uh, organism. And it's like more of an icon and more indicative and representative of like something much beyond what it actually is from. And uh, just kind of how it's used and reused, right? As logos, as images, as ephemera and that sort of thing. I find uh, kind of funny and interesting. Yeah, and that's the other thing about those forms and those pieces is that or like th- those cactus right they grow and they they grow straight up and only when they start to because their roots are just shallow once they start to lean because of the wind because of erosion whatever they'll grow an arm on the opposite side and counterbalance right well yes yeah. then they if they overcorrect, then they grow another arm and they're back the other way so actually if you go and like to that national forest without all, where all those cactus grow they have six, eight, ten arms growing in all directions, you know, 360, they loop around, they grow up, they also grow down. They're like, it's like nothing like the two arms in kind of a planar visual that we experience. So that's, again, it's like another kind of reflection and reaction to that. And so those pieces that you're talking about where there is kind of imagined uh, variations of like how those arms might grow, right? It's this idea of like, you know, thinking that in, outside influence uh affects like how that has grown right yeah and then even those the, the columnar cactus in the middle right those three-dimensional kind of pillar-shaped cactus it
0: looked like a city to me in a way kind of like a plan yeah on, on the texas and that's,
8: that's exactly right because uh think thinking like again if it's maybe reacting or adapting or responding to an environment right I'm just kind of imagining playfully, like if a cactus is growing up around buildings, it's going to take on a more building-like shape, right? Or a package-like shape, or you know, having that like kind of uh, geometric form that's more feels more manufactured and maybe less organic.
0: I'm curious, are you a, a fan of Gary Larson? Do you know? Do you remember Gary
8: Larson? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely the the <laughs> cartoons. Yeah, Far, was, far was, Side, was, huh?
0: Yeah some of it has <laughs> the same punches that to me a
8: little bit yeah definitely like uh it's you know again it's like just observations right it's not even like criticism necessarily it's just like here's a way of looking at something or you know maybe we are two steps removed from this reality or this future or that sort of thing and kind of you know ideas and speculation even like so those cows right that series of cows with modifications in a way right that first the kind of the, the first cow i made it's like the long stretched out run right that's like just a funny visual it kind of has this like hot dog thing but uh it's like how can we get more meat out of one cow right yeah. and uh then the one with long legs right it's kind of like adapting to its environment. What if cows can only eat the tops of trees, right? Or the tall grass. I think it's titled Tall Grass because that cow is adapted to eat really tall grass, even though there's none around it. Yeah. 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 So it's the same kind of just like imagined speculative alternative reality sort of yeah, thing.
0: Yeah. It reminds like me that. of, uh, uh, I bring up Gary Larson because he'll have like one frame, you know, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you've got like, Objects in mirror are closer than they appear. You know, it's like the eyeball. Yeah yeah. yeah,
8: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And I like what I was enjoying about your work is it was a more fine art approach to the same kind of little wit. Is this your usual style that you're working in, or is this just specific to this uh, this exhibit?
8: Um, definitely, the humor is consistent. When I was living on the Gulf Coast, I made a lot more like things that featured water in different ways. That's like a lot of stuff on my website has like um, the prints that maybe have. there's a lot of fish or even like reverse mermaids, right? It's like a fish body and and human legs, right? And I was kind of – that was my imagined character that walks around Corpus Christi in the moonlight along the Padre Island, right? Some guys (laughs) walking down the beach just have fish. What Uh,
0: do you call that? That's not a mermaid. It's like what is – (laughs)
8: yeah reverse a reverse mermaid reverse merman (laughs) I don't know it's still it still it's still easy to blend in you're a reverse (laughs) merman that's right right they don't yeah and so like but they kind of they kind of embody the same sort of humor embody the same sort of like observational kind of non sequiturs that sort of thing
0: Lars Roeder will have his work on display through the end of the month at the Lockhart Post Gallery go check it out
9: Phone rings, 935. And he goes, uh, hello. This is this Texas Ad? I said, Yes, sir. This is uh this is Hank Williams Jr. Um I need to place an order, I need to talk to Joella, because uh, I believe she's the daughter to Manny Gamge. And I'm like, Hector, shut up, I know it's you. And she goes, excuse me? This is isn't this Hector? And he goes, No, this is Hank Williams Jr. Mr. Bo Cephas. I'm like, oh, Mr. Williams, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I I have friends that call, and they try to pull my leg early in the morning. And this is about the time he calls. And I, I really apologize. I'm sorry. No disrespect. And then she goes, hey, it sounds like you got the same kind of friends as I do. No good. <laughs> and then it's so good. It was in the morning, it was Hank Williams. It really was Hank Williams. Come on down to Texas Hatters where we top the best.
10: Lockhart has become a destination outside of Austin. I think people from San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston are starting to learn about Lockhart. It's not just about barbecue. It's also about live music. Um, it's about art. It's about a community that It's coming together, and there's a lot of excitement on the square. I purchased this house in 2021 and i loved it because it has great architecture it was built in 1925 during the 1960s it was purchased by marcus haynes who is a harlem globetrotter there is a garage apartment next door to it as well and it has kind of a new orleans feel look to it You put ferns out has the wrought iron both of these properties sit on a third of an acre just off the square in lockhart What are you waiting for? Book your stay at the Little Alamo B&B in Lockhart, Texas, like today.
11: Alicia Hinterclyden with this week's episode of Tricks in the Kitchen. Bedrooms are not called such short of a very good reason. With the occasional exception of a couch or some sturdy lawn furniture of German design, there are more than enough horizontal options to keep one from choosing the kitchen for indulgence in frisky behavior. One never knows what might float one's boat – soft-boiled eggs, artichokes, eggplant, cucumbers from south of the border, and don't even get me started on Attafala mangos. But losing control in the kitchen – a place lousy with knives, steaming water, and slippery linoleum – can lead to long-term regret and embarrassing trips to the emergency room. I speak here from experience, having let my libido run roughshod over common sense one Sunday morning. I ended up with crisscross waffle burns on the backside of my thighs. Every time I tried to enjoy a stroll on the beach at Port Aransas, some smart aleck would yell, where's the syrup? We settled out of court, but I'm still in therapy. So the next time a fig or a carrot or a tub of non-dairy dessert whipped, seems to wander from the plateau of nourishment to some lower plane of a more private nature. Don't take the bait. Instead, just purchase some plastic sheets and a bedside mini fridge. Investments that could add months, if not years, to your life. This is Anna Lisa saying, stay tuned next week for tricks in the kitchen, when our subject will be, is hating vegans morally justified? <laughs>
0: Just a reminder that our lineup is featured on our Instagram page and daily in our stories called The Roundup. If you'd like to know more about what's going on in town tonight, check out 78644 Podcast on Instagram. It's also the place to find out when our next episode is out. We want to remind people about our 78644 Friends program. What are 78644 Friends? Well, they are super fans who believe that supporting musicians goes beyond attending shows and buying merch. It's about ensuring the return of musicians by tipping the band. To address the disparity musicians faced in earning a living in today's world, we've initiated a program where you can make a monthly donation of $5 or more, and guess what? We give 100% of your contribution back to the musicians who have played on our podcast. Yes, that's correct, 100%. Supporting your favorite musicians has never been easier. Head over to 78644podcast.com and click the subscribe button and sign up for a $5 or more month subscription, and it's the cost of a couple of tacos. As a token of our gratitude, you'll be invited to exclusive 78644 events every month where exciting perks await you. Past perks have included paying your cover at shows and offering a complimentary drink, or gifting a swag bag. And that's not all. As a subscriber, you will receive a special link to a Pass for Protected playlist featuring all the original music from our show. This includes unreleased songs captured at uh, the studio and an opportunity to enjoy exclusive tracks all in one place. So don't miss out on the fun. Sign up today and secure your spot on the invite list and support incredible musicians who are bringing their talent to the podcast and to the Lockhart area. And remember, as always, tip the band and your contribution makes a real difference in their lives. The more subscribers that we have, the bigger that the pile gets for a musician to use however they need. And that could be rent, that could be an album, that could be a tour, publicity, you name it. Your contribution will make a real difference. Okay, let's take a look at the news and what's happening in town. Wednesday, July 19th, at The Pearl, Stony Gable will be playing from 7 to 9 p.m. Best Little Wine and Books will feature Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, July 20th, Old Pal will have Richard Watson from 7 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have its open mic from 7 to 9 p.m. Sign up at 6.30 p.m. El Ray will have karaoke starting at 8 p.m. Friday, July 21st, it's Courthouse Nights with Sonora, Explosiva, Zanita, from 7 to 10 p.m at the courthouse the pearl will have candace hastings duo from 8 to 10 p.m old pal will have josh Baca and the hot tamales 9 30 to 11:30 p.m arts and crafts will have the shovel hawk starting at 9 p.m the baker theater will have the nine to five the musical playing starting at 8 p.m saturday july 22nd baker theater 9 to 5 The Musical will be starting at 8 p.m. Old Pal will have Jonathan Matthews from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Martindale River Cafe will have Hallianna from 8 to 10 p.m. Sunday, July 23rd, The Pearl will have its Sunday matinee with W.C. Clark from 3 to 5 p.m. The Baker Theater will have 9 to 5 The Musical starting at 2 p.m. matinee. Tuesday, July 25th, The Eugene Clark Library will have Evenings with the Songwriters starting at 7 p.m. in the Old Library. Commerce Hall. Two-Step Tuesday is back with none other than recent Grand Ole Opry performer Jen Hodges and her corn ponies. Two-Step lessons begin at 7 p.m. and the music begins at 8. Wednesday, July 26th. The Pearl will have Whiskey Wednesday with singer-songwriter Chris Lancaster from 7 to 9 p.m. Best Little Wine and Books will have Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, July 27th, Old Pal will have Paul Finley from 7 to 9 p.m. And the Pearl will have Joel Hoffman Band from 8 to 10 p.m. Friday, July 28th, Old Pal will have Jamie Kruger from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Martindale River Cafe will have Elijah Stone from 8 to 10 p.m. Baker Theater will have 9 to 5 the Musical playing at 8 p.m. Lodoff Fannies will have Two Bens and a Bear from 7 to 9 p.m. Saturday, July 29th, Old Pal will have Dustin Welsh from 9:30 to 11:30 p.m. The Baker Theater will have Nine to Five the Musical, starting at 8 p.m. and Lodeh Fannies will have Jams with Jenny from 7:30 to 9:30 p.m. And that's it for 78644 News. <laughs> At the tender age of 18, the Seattle-born crooner Gus Clark hit out to explore the United States with a backpack and a mandolin. Cutting his teeth playing on the street and traveling by freight train, or the kindness of those who were still bold enough to pick him up as a hitchhiker, he emerged over ten years later as an accomplished multi-instrumentalist, playing guitar, accordion, mandolin, and more. He now pays beautiful homage to the ultra-deep well of the golden era of American music traditions, ranging from the pre-World War II blues to the 1960 Nashville honky-tonk. Gus came into the studio to talk about his work, and uh, we worked on a song together, and uh, was really pleased with the interview and with the song.
12: I'm really a big fan of orchestration and arrangement and having things have parts and the way that they go, but within that, it's always going to sound a little different that day or whatever. I mean, it doesn't mean just jam over things, but like mostly just, I, I think it takes a long time to get to know your songs. Just like learning a cover even, like it's repetition. That's how we learn. And when you write something down, at least for me, I'll mess with it mess with it, mess with, change the tempo, change the feel, change what part of my voice I'm using to sing it, change the, am I really belting it out or am I singing it kind of quiet? And, I mean, you know when it's how you want it to be. I think that this preciousness, I know for a long time it held me back. I think this idea of like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be perfect from day one, minute one. It's gotta just come out of me in its finished form. And it's like, it's like sculpture or something. You start to sort of get the idea and you get the shape and then you refine it and refine it and refine it.
0: No, I think it's an excellent way to think, yeah. Uh, way you can actually make the piece and get out of your own way, you know.
12: Yeah, and it it grows and it changes. I mean, songs I've sang for years, I'm still like, ah, I want to push and pull on that line more. I want to change that word. I want to tweak that little bit of timing. I want to emphasize that part of the feel more.
0: Yeah. So you're writing songs in sort of the traditional American kind of way most of the time. Is that right?
12: Yeah, I mean, I come from the idea that I've I've spent so much of my life studying American music, and I love it uh, from the... A lot of country, but you know, all the sort of things that rub up against that. The the country, the old pre-war blues, Cajun, Zydeco, Tejano, early jazz, ragtime, jug band stuff, and the more what we call now Americana, like singer-songwriter stuff. I kind of hate that term Americana, because I feel like it's a cop-out. But you know, the genre terms just exist for us to be able to uh, talk about music, not for us to try to write music that fits in those boxes. But I really believe that you gotta know the traditions well enough that you feel you have something to contribute, that you feel like you have something to add, not just sort of taking a Cliff's Notes version of, whatever, country, and just going, like, okay, well, I got the idea. I listened to a couple Waylon records and a Merle Haggard record, and I love Johnny Cash, so now I'm gonna write country, and it's like, I don't know. I mean, people can do whatever they want, but for me, diving deep into it is what makes it fun, and seeing how it all Rubs up against each other and becoming the filter for that, you know, whether it's New Orleans R&B to uh, Canadian artists like Hank Snow and the the crooner tradition or the Western swing tradition, and embracing that fully and trying to learn it and study it so that we can be a filter because these are living, breathing traditions. It's a it's a little ember, it's a little coal that we have to keep breathing on and feeding. It's not just something to be copied.
0: Yeah, there's like an authenticity with it. And I think it's kind of what you're describing, like getting to understand it where it comes from. And...
12: Yeah, so that you're not overly intentional. Again, getting out of your own way. Like if you really are steeped in the tradition, then you. I don't. When I write a song, I don't think about like, oh, I'm taking that from Buck Owens and I'm taking that from Towns Van Zant. Like it just sort of is filtered. Through, you know, I'm the I'm the filter. I'm the I'm the distillation process. I yeah. just being myself. Yeah, I. Th- at and best. That's,
0: that's unique. <laughs> I think that's unique about music and, and artists is, like, it's the... That filter is unique to the person, you know? if they Especially if they really have learned the craft and they you get a new version of something that's a traditional. Well,
12: because even if you are trying to copy, you're, you're still going to be you. You can sit there and study and decide, decide I'm just going to be the best George Jones I can be. Like, I'm just going to do everything to sound and sing and write and play like George... You're still not going to sound like George Jones, so... You know, I think there's a balance. I think there's a there's a slippery slope there of like people that are like, "Well, I just kind of do it however it comes out," and it's like, "No, you have to hone your craft." That's what I mean by knowing the tradition well enough and studying, is because you don't want to just sort of get in there and start hacking away <laughs> at things. But uh, at least for my, I'm just speaking for myself. People can, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to art. You know? I, no, you know, I you
0: know, no, it makes sense. It's it's a it's what you've what you've honed. You know, it's my
12: approach. Um, Because I think good music in general does an interesting thing where it walks a line between, like for the listener, right? Like you want it to be something familiar enough on some level that it's not turning them off, but unique enough that it's engaged, engaging to them and interesting.
0: What is it about this type of tradition, this kind of song tradition that drew you in?
12: For me, I think there was a cool thing that happened in American history in the, mostly in the 50s outside well even within the realm of pop but like from the 40s through the 60s of like you had this confluence of this really raw folk music being refined enough to be packaged as what was pop music I mean it was it was meant to be popular they were trying to sell records and and I think that there was a really cool magic point where you could package something as a ostensibly little sort of dance song, little two and a half minute radio single dance song and get away with saying something really intense about the human experience in the simplest way possible. You know, I think that there's, there was a place where you're taking the musical traditions of what we call, you know, hillbilly music or blues music or whatever and refining it enough thanks to the nature of studio equipment getting better and things like that I don't know, there's just like a really sweet spot there where where they were, where, you know, you watch the old videos and it's like they still call Webb Pierce a folk singer. But that was pop country of 1956, you know, that was put on the rhinestone suit, smile big and get on TV, you know. But they were still able to express something really sincere about humanity and and, and even some of the songwriters I see now that I really like their writing, I find myself not walking away with something catchy. So, you know, I, I think I like that little bit of pop sensibility to my to my folk music, to my to my songwriter music. You know, I want it to still.
0: Yeah, I've always felt that way too. Where you have like there's the the hook. I think some
12: you know people that are doing it really well now are like Corb Lund, Jim Lauderdale, people like that. That where they're really quite clever in packaging it in a way that you still. And by I say packaging, I don't mean marketing. I mean packaging the music. I mean the finished product of the song. You still walk away with a chorus. You still walk away with a hook or something in your head, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, that was very popular for a very long time. And that was sort of the standard of what songwriters were trying to do is be unique but also have a hook that was unique and find something that resonated.
12: What Where do you think that went? Well, I think that some of that... You know, like anything, you get a copy of a copy. You know, I think you had people having success with that that were really sincere. Like, again, I'll say George Jones, you know. But, like, you, they started trying to... You had record industry people getting in the way. You had people trying to say, oh, if that song worked, let's write three more songs that sound just like that that say the same thing and see if we can get a hit with those. And it was about making hits and not about songwriting and so then you have what we call the outlaw movement now which doesn't have anything to do with doing outlaw quote unquote stuff but was just a response to the music industry it said forget the pop forget packaging as a pop song forget you know not forget tradition but do it your own way and I think that spawned a whole really cool generation of specifically Texas songwriters where it really embraced being yourself you know that's where you get your your Willis Allen Ramseys, your Terry Allens, your Gary P. Nuns, you know, these people It's like, you know, screw it, I'm gonna do it how I wanna do it. And I think that's really cool too. I just think that for me, there's a there's a balancing point in there. And that's really so much of what writing is about, is trying to, to distill things in a way that, ultimately, I wanna like my songs, you know, like. It's not, it's not an entirely selfish endeavor. I want people to relate. I want people to be entertained. That's the job description. I don't just do it for myself. But but that's what music does for me. When I hear a good song, it takes a really complex part of the human experience and boils it down to a, a, a palatable, uh... that's why we like cliches. That's why we like catchphrases. That's why we like dualities. That's why we like old sayings and, and little capsules of advice. It's, it gets too freaking complicated otherwise, you know?
0: No, I hear you. I think that's, that's it's good to hear. Because folk music, you know, I guess it's in that term because it is of the people and vernacular in that way. But also, I feel like if it gets too polished or too... It loses that humanity. There's sort of a wisdom of sorts. I don't know. That's how I
12: feel. Yeah, like. I mean, that's why there's certain artists that I think you know, for my life thus far and probably for the rest of my life, I'll keep going back to when I feel awash in the decades of music and all that, then I'm like, just go listen to Jimmy Rogers. There's, to me, that's the balance. You've got technical ability as a musician. You've got fun, catchy, I'm an entertainer element paired with serious, heavy life stuff. And it's enjoyable to listen to. I mean, I don't know. I'm like, I always come back to, yeah, I come back to people like Jimmy Rogers. I come back to Woody Guthrie. You know, I come back to, to some of those old blues guys, too. You know, I come back to Blind Willie McTell. Don't overthink it.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> no, good It's good advice. Can you talk a little bit about the song we just did? I'm, I'm interested in the sort of the story of that, because you said that one's pretty new.
12: Yeah, that one I was kind of... Sometimes I'll sort of pick a direction when I'm writing, because otherwise, you know, otherwise you're just staring at a that giant box of crayons with all the colors in it and you're like I don't even know what I want you know somebody has to say draw a picture of a cat right <laughs> like so that one I was kind of thinking about a little bit more on that side of less poppy and more singer songwriter more wordy more poetic like you know the obvious ones townsend Zant, bob dylan people like that and kind of trying to tap into that tradition and thinking about american history and how how young this country still is compared to the rest of the world and, and human civilization. growing up Mexican American was definitely it's something in my mind of like we all have our heritage, we all have our where we come from, and we all we all search for a way to connect to it. and there's good and bad in all of it, and I, you know, regardless of your your nationality or your or your ethnicity or whatever and the, and the, those two things are different, you know The nationality and ethnicity are not the same thing yeah I don't know I was thinking about thinking about the early times in this country and and how this wonderful country we live in got where we are and thinking about fitting in and thinking about I think a lot of the things in my mind have to do a lot with I guess what we'd call class issues you know I think that ultimately there is a lot of separation and there always has been between the the very wealthy and the working poor and there's a lot of different ways to repackage that
0: that yeah, have kept woody Guthrie's thing too yeah yeah,
12: and just that uh. You know, best way to make money is start with money. You know, we we get sold a lot of uh, stories of bootstraps and rags to riches, and I don't know how much it's true. But yeah, I keep working my butt off and happy to be able to pay my bills and grateful for what I do have and grateful that I get to share music with the world.
0: That's great. Uh, I know you've got a show coming up um, here in Lockhart, right?
12: Yeah, we're playing. I believe it's the 29th at Commerce Hall, and I'll be bringing the band out with that one, and we'll be doing the whole. The whole thing and if you haven't seen my live shows i try to do a nice blend of really a lot of danceable traditional country and western swing but i play accordion as well so there's elements that i bring in of my attempts at zydeco and tejano you know definitely we're a country band but um but trying to remember that that's not a that's not a box to fit in that that, that means that means music from this country <laughs> that's cool well we'll plug the show is there anything else you'd
0: like to add while you're would you like for us to know?
12: Uh, I'm just excited to get back in the studio. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but um, I just trust the musicians I have with me. And I've always made records the same way, which is just to try to do everything. It's very traditional and also very, (laughs) to be honest, cheap. Get good people and do it as much live as you can. I think, again, getting in our own, not to just keep repeating myself, but getting in our own way with production is is a real easy thing to do in the studio and to keep throwing money and time and overdubs at something when really, if you have players that will play to the song, not for their own showing off or their own benefit or treating it like it's some sort of audition for something, but to just honor the song, trust your musicians and trust your taste. And uh, I have to remind myself that as I go, spend a few days in the studio. And I'm excited to put out some new music. There's going to be a lot more accordion on this record. We'll see, I'm going to focus on the originals, but I might throw a few covers in there too.
0: We really look forward to hearing it, Gus. I appreciate you taking time to come down, and it's uh, it's good to visit with you.
12: Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me.
1: For centuries, it was all just land divided up by mountains, rivers, and sand. Then you showed up. With a gun and a shovel. That's what started this new world trouble. Some gave in, some left their homes, some stayed in for, some died alone. Your Your face looks different different from mine from another place from another time If you weren't here we'd all be fine But you made the rules And you crossed It is on our bone, Pending like cattle Nowhere alone Put up your fences So you can't see What it looks like To live like me Run me out Of another town I just keep walking Can't bring me down Your face looks different From mine From another place From another time If you weren't here We'd all be fine You made the rules I rest my head on sacred ground. But you swear I'm heathen, not heaven bound
11: if you listen
1: close. You can hear the sound Of ancestors gathered by Your face looks different From mine From another place From another time If you weren't here We'd all be fine Yeah. We'd all be fine. You made the rules, you crossed the line. You made the rules, you crossed the line.
0: Gus Clark will be playing at Commerce Hall on July 29th at 8 p.m. It's a $10 cover. We'd like to remind you to sign up as a 78644 friend on our website, 78644podcast.com. For a $5 or more a month subscription, your money goes directly to the musicians that you are on the show. 78644 is sponsored by Texas Hatters, Wella Foods, Thunderbird Bars, the Little Alamo Airbnb, Corazon Team Austin Realtors, Two Wishes Ranch Events, El Ray Bar and Nightclub, Birdie House Airbnb. And our in-kind sponsors are The Rock House Airbnb, Willigan's Island, Courthouse Nights, Printing Solutions, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. Our show is produced by Kate Collins and recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound, edited by myself, Stephen Collins, and Danny Manning. In-studio performances by Parker Chapin and Gus Clark, guest vocals by Kara McGregor on Gus Clark's song. Other music, Get Out of Your Own Way, written by U2, and my power, written by Edie Brickell and New Bohemians. Performed by myself, Stephen Collins, with help from Rachel Lingby. Thank you to our contributor, Jason Williams. Our show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon, Radio Public, and everywhere else where podcasts are streamed. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.